Uh, if you're a guest, I'm David. I am the senior pastor, and we are so glad that you're here with us. Um, this message today really is the culmination of uh, almost everything I've been preaching on this year. In December, I will start our Christmas series um, entitled uh, The Year That Seemed Lost, because this year has kind of seemed lost. But this message is probably the simplest message I know how to preach. It goes uh, really taking all the way back from the first series I started in January where they saw him alive, you know, and then I preached about seven, the seven words of Christ on the cross, Elijah, uh, then I preached about, um, you know, Jesus at, the, at the, the last, the night before when he was with the apostles one last time, preached, you know, David, that series on David. And so really what I'm going to do is bring this all together. We, we live in a time where we need to realize, and I've seen this for the last probably 20 years, that people are walking away from the church, they're walking away from Christianity. People who have been raised in the church, people who have grown up in the church are walking away. We live at a time when people are hostile to the church. I never thought in my lifetime when I was younger I would live to see people hostile in America, hostile to Christianity when they are. But at the same time, there's an amazing thing occurring is that people, through all the difficulties, through all the garbage, through all the chaos that have been going on in our lives, and this has been for the last several years, people are starting to come back and give the church another chance, come back and see if there's something they can find within the Christian faith that might give them meaning. Now, the, part of the reason people walk away, to be honest, is our fault as Christians. We have made it so difficult for people to come to Christ. We have taken a core message and we've, uh, we've layered upon layer of religious garb upon it to make it hard. But the truth of the matter is, Christianity at its core is very simple. And so the message today, I appreciate, is this very simple message. It's about all that matters, even if you walked away. Even if someone has walked away or rejected Christ, I want to share with you all that really matters. And it's not about religion. It's not about our doctrines. It's not about Christianity. And I'm going to come to the Gospel of John. But before I get to that passage, and I'll get to it a little bit later in the message, let me just share this with you. Here's what I want you to see. All that matters is that you trust Jesus with all that really matters, your life. Please understand, it's this simple. All that really matters in all of life, no matter who you are, no matter if you've walked away, no matter if you've rejected Christ, no matter if you're just here for just to see whatever, all that really matters is you trust Jesus with all that really matters, your life. And so I'm going to begin the message today uh, with a journey back in time uh, to the middle of the first century A.D., about 50, mid-50s A.D. Jesus has been gone a little over 20 years, and uh, most of the world still at that point is uh, very pagan. They worship many different gods and goddesses, and it's just a crazy, chaotic way of, of life. And um, if you lived in either Asia Minor, which we call Turkey, or in Greece or Italy, uh, it, there were two groups that lived there, obviously the groups that were pagan, and then there were one small group of people that were worshipers of the one true God. They were the Jews, and they were scattered about those areas. But the thing for the Jews is, while they worshiped the one true God, they were trapped in a legalistic system. Um, they, were, they were trapped in a group of laws and regulations and sacrifices that never allowed them the freedom to understand what it means to come in Christ. In fact, Judaism had rejected Jesus. And into that world that existed, in the middle of the first century, and they didn't even know they were in the middle of the first century because they hadn't called it A.D. yet because they didn't know about Jesus. In the middle of that time, there began this message that began to spread in those areas. There was a very simple message about this Jewish rabbi who had died and come back to life, and people claimed they saw him. And that the Jews had rejected him, but yet his message began to spread. And, and, and a group of people began going about talking about just Jesus guy. And one in particular named Paul, who used to be a persecutor 
and an enemy of Jesus had been converted over and had claimed to see the resurrected Christ. And he was going around and he was sharing and a group of people close to him were sharing about Jesus. And they began to go sharing this message and an amazing thing happened. People began to believe and come to Christ and get saved. And what's amazing is in all of this, they didn't have any like system of belief. They didn't have any sacrificial system. They didn't have any you know, rules. They didn't have any laws. They didn't have anything you had to do. And in all this, they didn't even have anything you could read. They didn't even have a group of writings. In fact, in the middle of the first century, Paul had just started writing a few of his letters. And maybe if you were one of the churches you were into, you had that letter. But most people had nothing, but they had this one simple message. That this Jewish rabbi had died, he had been raised back to life, and people saw him, and he was saving people. And people began to believe this. And people began to come to Jesus. And as this was going on, some of the people involved in Christ began to understand that this message had to be preserved. And as people were dying off who knew Jesus, some of them realized they began to begin to write the story of Jesus. And to write the story of Jesus was to focus on one event. That was the cross, the death and resurrection. And to do that, you needed to have two things. You needed to have authenticity. You needed to have a story that was real, not made up, not fabricated. And you needed to have authority. You needed to know what you were talking about. You needed to have seen Jesus, or you needed to talk to somebody who had seen Jesus alive. And about 25 or 30 years after Jesus had gone in back into heaven, three guys began to write. One of them was Matthew. He was one of the original apostles. He was one of the original guys, and he wrote particularly to the Jewish people who were believers to kind of preserve the message. And he began at the beginning of their story as Jews. He began with, with Abraham. In fact, he said, let me give you the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, who is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the son of David in the sense that he fulfilled the messianic promise to David. He is the son of Abraham and that he fulfilled the promise of the covenant to Abraham. He went there and began, and then he began to tell the story of Jesus, beginning with this miraculous, supernatural birth experience of Christ. And he told and he shared the story all the way up into the cross of Jesus where he died and he was raised back to life. And people, including Matthew, saw him. And Matthew closes out saying, and Jesus told us to do this. Go tell my story. That's what we're doing. And this guy named Mark wrote an account that we call a gospel. And, and, and Mark was this really young guy. He, he, he had kind of known about Jesus from his childhood because Jesus and his followers met at his mama's house in Jerusalem. That's where they held that last Passover meal. And then when Jesus died, that's where the apostles came to hide out. And, and he had kind of hung around Jesus. And, and he, was, he was a cousin of one of the church leaders, Barnabas. He hung around Paul, and while he and Paul had a falling away, he came back and became one of Paul's closest confidants. And he began to, to write something, and he knew Peter. He was a good friend of Peter's. And so he began to write Peter's story. And he begins his story by saying, this is the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. And from Peter's account, he started with this guy named John the Baptist, who Peter and his brother Andrew were kind of following. And then Peter and, and Andrew kind of heard John say, no, the real guy you need to follow is this Jesus. And so they began following Jesus. And the story says that one day as Jesus was preaching, repent 
and believed the gospel that he came up to Peter and Andrew and James and John, these fishermen, and said, you guys have been following me for a while. Now leave everything you have. Come follow me, and I will make you the fishers of men. And they left everything to follow Jesus. And Mark tells his story that leads up to the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection and the fact that people saw him alive. And another guy wrote... He was a Gentile and a physician, a man of science. He was a close friend of Paul, but Paul was in prison in Rome. And so Luke had a little time on his hands, and he wrote a letter called the Gospels. He wrote a gospel letter to this guy named Theophilus, who was also Gentile, and he said, I've done a ton of research. I've talked to people. I've read whatever's out there. There's a few you know, other things that people were jotting down. He looked at all of that. He says, I'm going to give you an accurate, authoritative account I've talked with Paul, talked with Mary, Peter, he talked to a bunch of people. And he began at the beginning, not of Jesus' life, but he went back to John the Baptist. He went all the way back to the Old Testament. And the very last thing said in the Old Testament was that there would be a, it was a prophecy about Elisha coming. And he began his message saying, John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And John pointed to Jesus, and he told the miraculous story of Jesus' birth. And it culminated in the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and that people saw him alive. And these three Gospels was all they had going into about 60 AD. And they didn't have anything else. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a New Testament. They were writing the New Testament. If you were fortunate enough, you may be a church that Paul wrote to, or Peter kind of wrote some general letters. Maybe you had a copy of those letters. Maybe you had a copy of one of these Gospels or a fragment of the Gospels. That's all they had. And they began to grow, and they began to grow, and people came to Jesus, and the Jews rejected Christianity. And then towards the end of the first century, the Romans began to persecute them. And then something else began to happen. These false ideas and false teachings began to rise up within Christianity. It always, always had been there a little bit. In fact, the reason Paul wrote his letters was because people think, taught things that were wrong half the time. And so, but but it, there was this insidious philosophy that had crept into the church called Gnosticism. In a nutshell, Gnosticism is this complicated, just wackadoodle way of thinking of things, believed that all, all salvation was the result of the right knowledge. And they believed that that was physical, like your body was evil, but what was spiritual was good. And the two couldn't mix. And they said, Jesus is okay, but here's the thing. Jesus can't really be both God and man. He can't be God in the flesh. And that philosophy began to creep into the church towards the end of the first century. There was one guy who hadn't written anything yet. He was the last of the apostles. His name was John, the apostle John. He had been a part of the Christian movement from the beginning. Jesus was his cousin. He was a little bit older than, than John, and so he knew him all his life growing up. He became one of those followers. He became the beloved disciple. He had seen everything within Christianity, and he knew he needed to write something down. He would write five documents for us, the one that matters to us today and maybe the most important is his account of the life of Jesus, the gospel. And he began his gospel with this background of all this heresy this way. In the beginning was the word, the logos. And the logos was with God, and the logos was God. And a few sentences later, he said, and this logos became flesh. Flesh. 
and we saw, beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said, in spite of everything you've heard, Jesus, this Logos, is both God and man. And then he began to write the story of Jesus. And he would write how Jesus would do the miraculous and turn water into wine. He met with an old Pharisee and, and he helped him through his theological problems. He met with a Samaritan woman who was completely an outsider, even in her own people. And he healed people and he touched people and he taught people. And he got him all the way up to the crucifixion of Jesus, which he saw because he was at the crucifixion. Jesus said, take my mom and take care of her. And he did and he came back. And he saw him die and he saw them bury Jesus. And then on Sunday after the crucifixion, he was with Peter and the other apostles, probably in John Mark's mama's house. And a woman named Mary of Magdala came and said, the tomb is empty. John said, well, I saw him put him in there. And he and Peter took off. They got to the tomb and saw it was empty. And they went back to that room where all those believers and apostles were, and they said, it's empty. And about that time, Jesus appeared and said, here I am. And they saw him alive. And people started telling about the empty tomb and about the seeing of Jesus. And the apostles believed all but one apostle, Thomas. And a week later, they were back in that upper room, and they were saying, Thomas, come on, we saw him alive. And he said, I won't believe anything until I see it for myself. And Jesus, at that moment, appeared. Said, Thomas, here's where they put the nails. Here's where they thrust the spear. And Thomas fell down on his knees and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have never seen and believe. And then John writes these words. So then, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. In other words, he said, I've shared with you a lot of signs. Some think the word signs speaks specifically of miracles, but it's part of miracles, but it's anything, including what he just shared. Think about what he's just shared in chapter 20. He's shared the resurrection of Jesus and that the tomb was empty and people have seen him alive. I mean, those, that's the sign he said. There are a lot of other signs Jesus performed in the one more chapter to go. There's one more chapter in John, chapter 21, at the very end of it, the last verse. He said, if I wrote down everything we couldn't even contain all the books of what Jesus did. He said there were other signs he performed in my presence, in the presence of all the other disciples, but I'm the last one standing. I've seen them, but they're not in this book. I didn't write them in this book. But then he talks about what he did write. So he says this in verse 31. But these, the things I have written, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, he says... I wrote these things for a purpose. That phrase, so that, speaks of purpose. Translates a little phrase in the, in, in the Greek that speaks either a purpose or result. It's used twice. In a minute, it's used a result. Here it speaks of purpose. That you might do something. That you might have the potential to do something. That is believe. To have faith. A fundamental theme of John is belief in life. Believe, believe, believe. He said 
the gospel of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. To believe in Jesus is the theme of John. He said, I want you to believe something, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the term Christ speaks of him being Messiah. The Son of God is a term that would speak of his deity. Go all the way back to John 1 I told you about. He said this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, God in the flesh. That word, Jesus, is the Son of God, God. And the Word became flesh. That word flesh, Jesus, is the Christ. He is the human in the flesh. Jesus is everything I wrote about in John 1. How do you know that? Because I've spent an entire book showing you that, culminating in the cross and the resurrection. I wrote these things so that you might believe, have faith in him, because that's all that matters. Why is it all that matters? Because of the result. So that, that by believing, you may have life in his name. And his name speaks of the essence of who is his. It's him. The word life is so critical. That's the purpose. I mean, that's the result of believing, that you have life. Zoe, oftentimes used with the idea of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if you believe in him, you may not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. This is the message of John. In the midst of all the chaos, of all the heresy, of all the persecution, of all the garbage that went on, John took everything and boiled it down to this verse. All of it is so you might believe and have life in Jesus. And there still was no Bible. And there still was no New Testament. And there still was persecution. <laughs> and the church grew and grew and grew. They had a Messiah, Jesus. They had a mission, share him. And they had a message, believe. And why did the church, despite the persecution, and why did the church, despite not even having something to share with everybody because they were in the process of writing it and putting it together. How is the church able to keep growing and growing and growing? And it was simple because they had this message. And people believed and received eternal life. Said, People believed in Jesus and they received eternal life. And that's what the church preached believe in Jesus, and receive eternal life. We do have people today who are out and out just rejecting Christianity. And a lot of them are hostile to it. It's, by the way, it's always been that way, just not in America. <laughs> it's always been that way throughout the history of Christianity in the world. They reject it and are hostile to it. We're just not used to it where we live. And there are people who do walk away. But there are also a lot of people who are searching, who are hurting, and who need something. And we know what they need. People need Jesus. It's just that simple. So what I'm gonna do for the next few moments is I wanna to talk to you on two levels. Some of you are not followers of Christ, and I know that. 
for whatever reason. Maybe you didn't grow up that way. Maybe you just had never got around to it. Maybe you walked away, and for some reason, because of all the craziness and chaos in the world in which you live, you have decided that you want to give it one more chance. I don't know, but you have not followed Christ. And a lot of you have, and you're what we call the church. Not this church, but just the church, period. But talking to you, we need to see some things, and we need to understand some things and be absolutely clear about because the world we're living in needs Jesus. And what I'm talking about is so important it is because it is the essence of the Christian faith. So understand this, and I see a lot of this with all the chaos, that this has been probably the most chaotic year, probably going back to the World War II and the Depression. You know, and the other, in the first service, a lot of people lived through all that. I don't think any of you have lived back that far back. But, you know, they understand. I mean, that, that, there was some stuff then, but man, this is crazy. And people are hurting, and they're searching, and it's not going to get any less crazy in 2021. And I read what people say, and I hear what people say, and I get emails and things. Well, what we need to do is people need to get back to the Ten Commandments. If we put the Ten Commandments back in schools, everything would be all fine. Can I just tell you that the Ten Commandments have never worked? 3,500 years, years ago, 3,500 years ago, God gave the Ten Commandments to give the Moses to the people of Israel. It was theirs, okay? And all the laws that went with it, it was theirs. And they said, you are my people, so do this. And they never could do it. Ten Commandments, and they couldn't keep them. The most important, don't worship any other God. They couldn't, and don't, second, don't worship any idols. I can promise you, I've never worshiped any other God and never had any idol. I have done a better job of keeping the King Commandments than the people of Israel just by those two. Now, the other eight, <laughs> depending on how you define a couple of them, it's a little more iffy than others. They failed. In fact, you realize only one guy ever kept the Ten Commandments. That was Jesus. Here's what Jesus did. He kept the Ten and all the other laws. And when he was, when he was towards the end of his time, he said, let me, let me do this for you guys. Let me make it simple. Y'all can't keep the Ten, so I'm going to narrow it down to two. Love God. Love other people. You're good. That's all you need. And that's what he told us. You know why the Ten Commandments are important to us? Because they're important to Jesus. I'm a Gentile. Why would I follow the Ten Commandments? They were given to the Jewish people, and they couldn't follow them. You know why I follow them? And I preached a series on the Ten Commandments four years ago. So I, you know, I want you to keep them. But here's the thing. They're not for the lost. People who don't know Jesus, why would they keep the Ten Commandments? We don't keep them. We're breaking one right now. We're breaking the fourth. We are not worshiping on the Sabbath. It's the day after. It's just the way it is. You know what John never did? He did not write, hey, I wrote all these things to you so that you might believe the Ten Commandments, and believe in the Ten Commandments, you might have life in his name. You know what Paul never preached? He never preached, and he never wrote in the book of Romans, for instance, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in the Ten Commandments, you will be saved, because the Ten Commandments can't save you. They can't. So why are we telling people they need to follow something that ain't going to work? You know what else won't work? And I see this a lot. We need to get our theology straight. We need to get all our doctrine lined up, you know? And listen, I believe strongly in doctrine. I mean, I have, there are, there are some things that are non-negotiable doctrinally. And uh, I, I've had people in the churches where I pastored, that they taught bad doctrine and we asked them to stop them and they wouldn't. We replaced them. Said, you're through teaching. We're not going to have it. Let me tell you this. The world doesn't need good doctrine. Paul was the one who really set the stage for all the doctrines we believe. It was Paul who systematized our understanding. Regardless of your doctrinal positions, you trace it back to Paul. Paul said, we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. He never said, we preach doctrine. And even looking at it from the standpoint of the Bible, 
We keep telling people you got to believe all this stuff in the Bible. Why? They didn't back in the first century. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have a Bible to believe. You know what they believed in? Jesus, who died and was resurrected. The Bible's important. I preach the Bible. I believe the Bible's inspired and inerrant and infallible. I believe from the, the first word in Genesis through the maps and the concordance, all of it comes from God, you know? But it's not the Bible that will save people. It's the Jesus who the Bible's written about. Do you know why we have a New Testament? The only reason we even have a New Testament is because of Jesus. I'm going to share with you Three, what I would call propositional truths. Three things that are true. And if you believe these three things are true, then I'm going to share with you the fourth thing that you need to do. This applies to those of you who are not followers of Christ. You need to understand these three truths and act on them. And if you are a follower of Christ, you are the church, you need to understand these three truths are the truths we preach more than anything else, so we could get to the fourth thing I'm going to share with you. The first truth is this. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord. That is true. Jesus is the Christ. He is the flesh, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the deity. He is God in the flesh. He is the Word. Because of that, He is then the Savior and the only Savior. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. That is either a true statement or a false statement. If it's a true statement, He is the only Savior. If He's a false statement, then He has lied and deceived us all. And because He is the Savior, God in the flesh, He is Lord and the only Lord. And we confess He is Lord. The second thing is this. Jesus will forgive all your sin and bring you to God. He died on the cross to take your sins. He took your sins so he would forgive them. He forgave the sins of a guy named Paul. Paul was the guy who was leading the movement in the middle of the first century. Paul had been the guy who hated Jesus so much he wanted to kill all his followers. Jesus forgave Paul. He will forgive any of us of our sin. We do have to repent. We have to admit we're sinners and renounce them. But the truth is, he will forgive you of your sin and bring you to God no matter what. The third truth is simply this. Jesus will give you eternal life. <laughs> he said, God sent me. God so loved the world. Sent me. You can believe. Life eternal. Life eternal means from the moment you come to Christ, you live in fellowship with God, at peace with God. And when this world ends, you are simply moving on to the next and you are moving on to the next to spend eternity with the Father in the way that he always intended it to be back in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, before sin came. You're, just, you're going to live life the way God always wanted it to be lived. And Jesus provides that. doesn't mean all your problems are going away. In fact, in most parts of the world, when people became Christians, their problems intensified because they had persecution. doesn't mean you're going to become healthy all of a sudden. Paul was in horrible health. And Jesus never healed him. But it means you have life with God the way it's meant to be. If those th three things are true and believe of all my heart they are, then this fourth statement needs to be a part of our life. You need to believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've walked away. It doesn't matter if you've rejected him. It doesn't matter what's your religious background. It doesn't matter if you were raised Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Assembly of God, Seventh-day Adventist, whatever else is in there. All that matters you believe in Jesus. In church, let me make this clear. We have to make sure people understand they need to believe in Jesus. That has to be 
our core message so that people will have faith. Especially in the world in which we live, we need to share all you need is Jesus. So here's the thing. I'll go back to how I started this message. All that really matters is that you trust Jesus with all that really matters, which is your life. So let me ask you this. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I got nothing else I can do and nowhere else I can go. And I'm going to take my life, and I'm giving it to you, and I am trusting you to save me. So here and now, I'm asking you, save me. And he will. If you will but trust him right now and give your life to him in a moment, when we sing, some of us will be up here, and you can come and tell us, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Or you can say, I need someone to help me. Would you talk with me or pray with me or whatever you need to do? You need to be sure that you give your life to Christ today. And for the follower of Christ, you need to peel away all that other junk and understand there is but one message that ultimately matters. And that message is that you believe and have life in Jesus. So Father, in a really crazy, odd, hard year that doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. What we really need above all is to put our faith in you. And we put our faith in you because of Jesus. We just simply trust him. So I asked that the person, male or female, young or old, who has never trusted Christ, who has never believed that God, at this very moment, they would simply believe and give their life to Christ and experience life, life, life. All these things, God, you gave to us so that we might believe and live. Let us believe and live. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You come.